1: What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Moran Moranalytics Podcast. Today is Thursday, June 7th, 2018. I am Patrick Moran. Coming up on today's show, I have one of the most talented and longest tenured football beat writers in all the land. She covers the worst team, but who cares because she's literally one of the best in the business. Mary Kay Cabot from cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer joins this podcast. I talked to Mary Kay about growing up in Lakewood, Ohio, which is right outside of Cleveland, going to college at Kent State and deciding on what made her want to become a sports writer. We talk about timing and fate as she nearly moved to Florida once and not long after that, Los Angeles, before ultimately moving into her role covering the Cleveland Browns something she's been doing for 28 seasons now. We go through some of her trials and tribulations as a reporter covering the Cleveland Browns, and we discuss how she once came really close to leaving Cleveland for ESPN. In fact, she almost went to ESPN more than once. And speaking of Cleveland, we talk about what you can expect when the Cleveland Browns are on HBO's Hard Knocks this summer. We talk about the team improving, at least on paper. They got a lot better. We talk about a lot of things today. And here's a spoiler alert. Mary Kay's already calling this the most fun interview she's ever done. Of course. (laughs) Joking. But seriously, and I'm not joking here. Mary Kay's one of my most favorite guests I've ever had on this show. And no, no, I don't say that shit about everyone. So don't at me on Twitter about that. I'll get to her interview in just a minute. I want to give a shout out to the guys over at Buffalo Fanatics. They have all kinds of good Buffalo Bills links and stuff like that up every day on their various platforms, including a lot of original content, some good interviews and stuff like that. I personally follow their Facebook page and I love it. So definitely go and do that. They've been a good friend to this podcast, helping promote it and helping me get some new subscribers. So I really appreciate them. Got to give them a shout out. Lastly, quick programming note. Next Monday, I have a former NBA star. I'm all kinds of pumped to have on this show. One of my favorite players when I was younger. I'll tell you who that guy is at the end of this episode. And next Thursday, I'm scheduled to be joined by Mark Sessler from NFL.com, who was also part of that awesome Around the NFL podcast. That's up on the charts too. Another great show. All right, enough with the plugs. Onto to today's podcast and my interview with the very lovely and the very talented Mary Kay Cabot. My guest today is a longtime Cleveland Browns beat writer for Cleveland.com, which stories also apparent in The Plain Dealer. She's one of the best known and best sports writers in the business. I'm talking about Mary Kay Cabot. Thanks for joining the podcast today, Mary. Glad to have you on. Thanks for having me. Pleasure is definitely all mine. Let me start here, okay? You're born in Lakewood, Ohio, just a few miles outside of Cleveland. What were you into as a kid? Like, when did you first get obsessed with sports?
0: Well, it came from my father, really. My father and his father before him were probably the two biggest sports fans in all of Cleveland. Uh, And they would attend uh, all kinds of things in person, live. Uh, they would go to softball games and things like that around here, but then they were huge Browns, Indians, Cavs, Ohio State fans. It was just a huge part of our lives. Uh, you know, my dad, his mood depended on what happened with his sports teams, and, you know, that's just what he was all about. Who were
1: a favorite of your few athletes as a kid?
0: Well, you know, it, it would have been some of the, uh, the Browns players, really. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, cheering for, you know, Brian Seip and, and Isaac Newsom and, and guys like that back, you know, back when I was younger.
1: So you go to college, you graduated from Kent State. Why did you decide to go there? And were there other schools you were considering at that time?
0: Actually, there were other schools that I was considering at that time. I really had an interest in becoming an orthomolecular psychiatrist, and oh. I uh, I was enrolled. I, I was accepted into the Miami University pre-med program, and so for me, it was kind of, uh, I was torn between sort of the journalism, uh, public relations sort of thing, and, and the healthcare industry doing... Uh, Doing the ortho molecular psychiatry is what I really wanted to do, and I was very very interested in that. And uh, you know, I just chose one road over the other, and and here I am all these years sure later.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, was there a specific moment when did you first realize that you definitely wanted to make sports writing your living?
0: Well, you know, actually, I didn't really know back when I first did my internship at the Plain Dealer when I was in college that that's what I wanted to do because. Really, there were not very many people doing it at all at that time. Uh, this was back in the mid 1980s and there were very, very few female sports writers back then. There were, um, you know, there were, there were a few. They were blazing the trail and doing an amazing job of that, but it just wasn't a common thing back then. And so it wasn't really a dream or a wish of mine. Uh, but the plane dealer helped instill that in me by actually, uh, when they hired me for the internship, they put me in the sports department and you know they really wanted to get uh women involved in sports and uh and they chose me to do that and uh you know I was honored and I accepted the challenge and I dove I dove into that internship with everything that I possibly could and did the best job that I could and then uh I remember when I got out of Kent State I was uh I didn't have a job yet and I was I had the car packed and I was moving to Florida and I was going to apply at all this Florida newspapers and i had two friends that i was moving in with down there and i was just going to uh you know kind of wing it and and see what happened and uh and again the car was all packed and i was ready to go and it was in the driveway and i got a phone call from the plane dealer saying that they were hiring me in the sports department so i unpacked the car um unsaid goodbye to my mom and dad <laughs> um said goodbye to my two best friends, shipped them off to Florida. And, uh, and I've been here ever since.
1: That's pretty cool. I mean, a lot of sports writers, they bounce around before they find their home. You know what I mean? In your case, you've pretty much, you know, you got an opportunity in one place and there's been no looking back ever since.
0: Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. Now I have had many, many opportunities to, to do other things, uh, one of the first things that I had a chance to do, and this uh, is something that I actually uh, had always dreamed of doing, uh, I would often go, I, I started covering the Cleveland Force. Uh, that was one of the first beats that I ever had, the soccer team here in Cleveland. They were wildly popular, and they would pack the, uh, the Coliseum with, you know, 14,000 fans. I mean, it was just enormous here. So that was one of my first beats. I did that for three years, and it, it brought me out to California where I visited one of my best Kent State friends all the time. And she worked for uh, 20th Century Fox at the time, and we would go bopping around California. And I wrote a column about that one day for the uh, for the Cleveland Plain Dealer Sunday Magazine, just about you know being on the 405 and all the fun things that you know we would go do in in LA. And she showed it to one of her producers, or I'm not sure exactly what his title was. Uh, at, at 20th century Fox. And he said, Hey, I I really like her writing style. Why don't you have her write a spec script for me? So I asked her to ask him, could I write a spec script just about my 20 something friends, you know, just sitting around being funny. (laughs) And and this was before Seinfeld and this was before friends. And, uh, and you know, and, and, he hadn't really heard of anything quite like that before. So he he said, no, no, you know, do something established. So, you know, have her write me a, a Murphy Brown spec script. So what I did was I was disappointed because I really thought I had some funny material that I could use in my 20-something sitting around being funny script. And uh, so what I did was I put it all into the um, Murphy Brown script. Somehow I wedged all this stuff that my funny friends would sit around talking about into this Murphy Brown script. And I sent it to him. And he actually loved the script. And he said, you know, I really like this a lot. This is great. But, you know, this is something we can work with. So what I want you to do is just go flesh out the characters for me a little bit and send the script back to me. And I guess that's probably protocol. That's, you know, what they have to do or say they're probably not going to be able to just say, you know, we'll, you know, we'll take this just as is. But right. I was like, oh, darn, that was my best shot. <laughs> I, mean, I, I was kind of stuck. I'm like, how do I flesh out the characters? And then. I probably could have just changed a few commas here and there and sent it back to them and that probably would have been sufficient. <laughs> but um, but in the interim, like the next day, I got a phone call from the plain dealer saying, Hey, uh, we're giving you that you're you know, you've got the Browns beat, you're covering the Browns. So that was a turning point in my life because I was I was ready to head out to LA and begin a career in script writing. And I literally, I got, I did, I got stumped by how do I improve this? And in the, in the time that I was trying to figure out how to do that, I was put on the brown feed and I did not have time to think about a script or anything else. I was in full Brown's mode from minute one and it was all systems go. And I didn't, I just, the only other thing that I did with that script, which I wish I could find it, it's got to be around here somewhere. Um, is I entered it into a national script writing contest and apparently they, they took in thousands of scripts and, uh, and it, it made like top 50 or something like that. Wow. And, uh, so somewhere around here, I have a letter about all that. And, um, and so sometimes I look back on that and I think, oh gosh, how would my life be so entirely different? So that was one turning point, And then I had another turning point, um, in my career where I, I, chose to continue the road that I'm on right now. And that was when my third child was born 17 years ago, uh, I had an opportunity to go up and do the car wash at ESPN for a television job. And, um, my, my, it was my third daughter, my, my third child, my second daughter, I, I have a son and two daughters. And, uh, my my daughter had just been born, so she was only like six months old, I think, when they asked me to come up and do the car wash. And um, so I went up there, and I interviewed with like 13 people in it one day, and I came home, and within two days, they called me, and they offered me a three-year contract uh, to come to ESPN and do television reporting for them. And it was an exciting thing, but this all happened so fast. I didn't have time to think about it. I had three small children. ages was right. four, four, two, and six months old at the time. And I did not know what to do. And I was in a quandary. And my husband, who is the most supportive husband in the universe, uh, he said, you can do whatever you want to do. We will make it work. We'll figure out a way to, may, way to make this work if if this is what you want to do. And, uh, and I, I just wasn't sure if, if I was going to be able to handle the demands of the job. And I, I just didn't know with, with three kids uh, if I could possibly do it. So I called um, Andrea Kramer, who was then at ESPN, and I was talking to her about it. And she said, well, she said, I, I think that your life would be absolutely insane if you try to do this, because one day they're going to send you to St. Louis to cover you know, the Cardinals. The next day they're going to say... Oh, hey, you need to be in Miami, and we want you to cover the dolphins for a few days. And the next day, they're going to say, you know, hey, you know, we need you in New York for this. And and she said, I, I don't see how you would possibly do this job with three small children. She said, you right now have one team to focus on. Oh, she, that was another thing she said. She said, you know, not only do you have to fly to all these cities at a moment's notice, you have to study up on these teams that you're going to be going into a city and you barely know anything about this team and you're going to have to go in there and try to know every single thing there is to know about these teams. So whatever minutes that you did have at home, you know, would be spent trying to figure out, you know, what the heck the Miami Dolphins were all about. And, um, and you know, it it was good advice. I didn't have a lot of time. I, I did call ESPN back and I said, do we have to do, you know, a, 100% 100% full time, 365 day a year thing, or can we do something that's like a little less crazy? And they were, no, this is full time. You're going to need all the, you know, on air time. We can get, you know, you're going to need a lot of experience. You're going to need a lot of hits. And so, you know, we can't do anything less than a super full time job. And I just was overwhelmed by the thought of it. But you know, I mean, again, I had a six month old, and a two year old, and a four year old, and. So I made the decision, and, and that was another thing Andrea said. She said, you know, you've got, she said, what I wouldn't give to have one team to focus on and to become an expert on and to really know exactly every single thing about that team. And she said, there, there's just so much to be said for that. And she said, I, I, if I were you, I wouldn't do it. I do think it was good advice from Andrea. Now, if obviously, if I didn't have any children at the time, It would have been the perfect opportunity for me, the absolute perfect, perfect opportunity for me, because I love doing television and I love doing radio. And I think I'm really good on camera and I can think on my feet. And uh, I always think, you know, I think that I would have been well suited to that kind of a job. Um, But the timing just wasn't right. And then, you know, once again, when you have three children and a husband and the Browns beat, which is. Non stop, 24 7, 365 days a year. You just don't have time to like get back at anything and pursue it again and try to see if, you know, you can toss your hat back into the ring as the years go by. You know, I've had other opportunities. I did also have an opportunity to take, uh, you know, another job with ESPN as, you know, the, one of the ESPN Nation people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, at the time, I don't know, I'm a very loyal person. I'm very, very loyal. I love Cleveland a lot. I love Cleveland.com. I love the Plain Dealer. I just felt, you know, I'm I'm a newspaper person at heart. And even though now I I really work for Cleveland.com, I'm more on the digital side of it. I'm still, you know, I was just still so fiercely loyal uh, to the Plain Dealer and proud to be uh, a Plain Dealer employee and, and part of the, you know, the biggest media in town. And I just felt like there was something about that. I had established my name already here in town that way. And um, and so I decided not to take that. But those were a few uh you know turning points in my life where I had to make big, big life decisions. And uh, you know, I kind of just stayed the course instead of taking one of those drastic turns in my life. And uh, but it's turned out really well because I have a great job. Um at, you know as you mentioned earlier, you know, I think I've risen to a point in this uh, in this profession where I'm pretty well known. I went. I ran into Jim Nance at Browns practice yesterday, and he actually made a point of walking over from the sidelines to me, shaking my hand, introducing himself, and saying, "I really admire your work. I've been reading you uh, for many, many years, and I love what you do." And I just thought, "Wow, how cool is that?" (laughs) You know what I mean? I thought that. You know what? Maybe you know. Maybe there was a method to my madness here. To you know, to stick this out and to make something of this and to, you know, and to hang in there and and to try to do the right thing for my family and to try to do the right thing for for my company and those sorts of things.
1: It's pretty crazy with the timing. I mean, you laid it out perfectly there. You were just days away from being in Florida. Then there's another time where you're just, you know, a short time away where you might end up in LA. So it's kind of like fate and timing just worked out perfectly for you.
0: Yeah, it really did. And, you know, I, I think part of it too is that I'm not a huge, huge risk taker. Uh, so, you know, the thought of of doing any of those things, you know, all of a sudden just dropping everything and, you know, moving to L.A. And it, it just was all happening so fast that I, I, I really, um, I just really wasn't ready to make that decision. And the same thing, you know, with the ESPN job. I, I, all I could think of was how am I going to do this with, you know, Actually, probably two still in diapers at that time. So, you know, you make decisions and you make choices, um, you know, you do the best thing that you can for your family at the time. And um, the funny part about it is, you know, as noble as that decision might sound that, you know, that I was going to try to spend all this time, you know, being a mom and being with my kids well the Browns beat kind of took over. And, uh, you know, I I ended up working so many hours on, on this crazy job that, Uh, You know, I I did not, I was not able to, you know, be, see, you know, the full time, 100% all in pumpkin carving mom that you would want to be. I mean, you just can't be that. Uh, Like I said, I have had tremendous support from my husband, tremendous support from my mom, uh, because, you know, there were plenty of times where, you know, Johnny Manziel would go do something crazy when I was on my way to, you know, mom farm with my son or something like that. So it's been a wild, wild ride. I actually think that um, my life might might have made a good reality show or a sitcom uh, because, you know, trying to be the mother of three and, and being an NFL beat writer, especially the beat writer of Cleveland Browns, because... As you know, there's been so much turnover and upheaval and change over the past, since 1999 when we returned, that we don't have an off-season. We don't ever have an off-season. So those down months that you think that you're going to have, well, I never have those. I'm always in a coaching search. I always have the number one pick to cover. So it has been a wild, wild ride. And I always thought, you know, when I, there were times when I'd have, you know, I'd be changing a diaper and I'd have another child, you know, on my hip and somebody screaming in a high chair and I'd be on the phone with some agent or some general manager trying to pin down, you know, the latest breaking news story. So it's been kind of crazy.
1: (laughs) Let me ask you this. I asked Jenny Vrentis this and I want to get your take on it. Like her, you know, you've become one of the top sports writers in the game over the past several years, man or woman. I'm confident in general that you get treated fairly, but I'm sure you've also had many difficulties as well because you work in an industry that's mostly dominated by males does it ever feel like women unfairly have more to prove than men in the journalism industry, especially when it comes to the higher end jobs, you know, the beat reporting jobs and things like that?
0: Well, I think most of us that have risen to the the point, this sort of point in, in your career, you know, we've all, I would have to say most of us would probably agree that we just never, uh, looked at our differences. We just thought, you know, Hey, I'm a, I'm an NFL beat writer doing my job, you know, and I, I've never really, uh, tried to to buy too much into uh, the whole gender issue, even way back when when it was really really hard and it was the wild wild west back then. Right. So I try to plow through most of that stuff, and I try not to let it get to me too much. Of the thing that I find um, most disheartening or disconcerting is the abuse that female uh, sports writers and sportscasters and sports journalists. Uh, take in so on social media. That's you know, that's just the one thing that I you know, I would like to do something about it. I would like to fight that good fight one of these days. I would love uh to make it so that uh you know that we didn't have to deal with that much abuse because you know sometimes I'll go on to my mentions just to see if somebody's having any questions that they need answered or just to get the pulse of maybe what some Browns fans are thinking about a certain topic. And it's just a dangerous and nasty place to be. And I find it incredibly sad that we have so many sort of mean and angry
1: people yeah. in our country. Big time. Oh, you're so right.
0: And, you know, and I wonder where we went wrong. I wonder where we went wrong as a country. And there's so many times where I want to say to some of these people, you know, I'm sure that your parents worked really hard to raise you right. And they would really be disappointed to know how you turned out if they're still around. That they would be really disappointed Uh, to know how you treat people. And, you know, it's not a life well-lived if you grow up to be a mean person. So that is, it might sound very Pollyanna-ish, but that is the one thing that that I think that I find really hard to take is that we're out here working so hard, just like everyone else is. We're all out here doing our job. And I just don't think that we should have to take that constant, constant abuse. I mean, you're doing this podcast with me because, like you said, you over the years have realized that I work really, really hard at my job. Sure. And it's just—it is. It's disheartening to go on, and you look at those mentions, and it's—and it's—it's just tough. And I do have a thick skin. I've had to develop a thick skin over the years, and most of the time, I stay out of the mentions. But you know, it's sad. Not just—I don't feel that way just for myself, but for every single woman in this business that's out there trying to work so hard. And I think a lot of us do work extra hard and go the extra mile. I know I always did, uh, because you do have to blaze that trail and you do have to prove yourself. And I think we we all probably do that. Um, and it just, it is, it can get to you a little bit if you let it, uh, that people can be so mean.
1: There's no question about it. You know, I follow you on Twitter. I follow, you know, a lot of reporters on Twitter and the fans will just turn on you because you report something that they don't want to hear. You know what I mean? You're the messenger. You're you're delivering the news. You didn't make the news. You're reporting it. And people just jump on you and say the nastiest, meanest things. And often for no reason. You're right. That's probably got to be as a sports writer. Not, not just you. I mean, lots of, of sports writers that I've talked to on this podcast specifically. It's probably the hardest part of your job to take is having to deal with dimensions because like you said, you know, you try to avoid them, but sometimes you gotta look at them. And people could just say nasty cruel things for no reason at all.
0: Well the other thing to consider here is that, you know, the, the NFL landscape, the covering the NFL has changed in that, you know, agents and teams and the league, you know, they basically are funneling all of the information and breaking news um, for the most part to NFL network. ESPN people they have TV contracts with. It's very difficult anymore uh, to be able to get um, agents and different people to return your phone calls. You know, everybody just wants to go to the big, you know, few national people. I mean, we all know the names, right? Um, which you know, that's just the way that that it is now. But that's another thing that we do take abuse for. It's like, well, how, how come you, you know how come you're always saying you know Ian Rappaport, you know, reported this and, you know, you're just repeating his report or whatever. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but I am competing against the NFL Network. Did you notice the uh, first three letters of that? And (laughs) he works for the NFL, okay? So we have to compete against the league that we're covering. And now the teams all have their own website. So, you know, they want to break their own. So it's just, it's a different landscape now. And I think what we, you know, what we have to focus on more is, Uh, you know, instead of breaking news, which of course we all still try to do that, but it's really, uh, you know, opinion analysis and kind of shaping it. So you can tell people, well, you know, here's why it's important that Baker Mayfield started taking second team reps yesterday.
1: Right. Let me ask you this. And you already kind of alluded to this. When you first started covering the beat, I'm sure most of your job, at least, you know, was focused on writing stories. Nowadays, the role of reporters is so different because you have to be so much more versatile than you were back in the day. Now, you like, and you mentioned this you, and you do it well, you know, doing TV, doing radio, doing, you know, podcasts like these, et cetera. How much of an adjustment was it for you initially, you know, adapting to that expanding role of a sports journalist where it went far beyond just typing something on the computer and, and writing a story because you have to do so much more now.
0: Well, it was a dream come true for me. It was absolutely a dream come true for me. And that is why I don't feel like I have the same job that I started out with 30 years ago or 28 years ago, whatever the case may be. I don't have the same job. I have a completely different job and I can continue to kind of make it what I want to be. And I can try new things and different things. And I minored in telecommunications at Kent State, uh, majored in journalism, and so i was trained to to do on camera work and radio and voice and all those kinds of things and i've taken a, a lot of classes in that regard so for me it was like bring it on give me you know give me the podcast give me the radio show put me in front of the camera and you'll be sorry that you handed me a microphone because you're never going to get me to shut up
1: <laughs> it's you know it sounds like like you said, it's a good thing for you. It's, maybe that's a key to your longevity of keeping your one job for as long as you have is the ability to go out and do all these other media you know, content things that you do. Whereas maybe if it wasn't like that, maybe you would have possibly taken, you know, maybe it's not that specific ESPN job, but you might've taken a TV job or something somewhere else if you didn't have the opportunity to kind of do everything at once like you do now.
0: Well, and you're absolutely right about that. And I also did have... Uh, opportunities to take uh, local television jobs here at two of the different TV stations. And I do do th- some things here with Channel 3. Um, I'm a Browns analyst for them, and I, I'm i on uh, with Jim Donovan on Monday nights here in Cleveland. Uh, and I've done a lot of local TV, uh, but I did have an opportunity on two occasions to leave Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer and go full-time with television stations in town. and And once again, like you said, the job that I have now affords me the opportunity to do all those things right where I'm at. So that, and the combination of me being once again, fiercely loyal to my cup. Comp- I'm one of those gold watch people. I feel like, mm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I, you know, I just have a, just a, just a sense of duty. And, um, and so here I am.
1: Who's the toughest athlete that you've ever had to deal with? And I don't necessarily mean the biggest jerk or the worst person. I'm just saying the most difficult.
0: Oh, the most difficult athlete that I've ever had to deal with. There have been a number of, um, a number of Browns players over the years that, that have been difficult to deal with. Um, I remember back in the day, Frank Minifield was kind of difficult to deal with a Browns cor- a cornerback from, from many years ago, but it's funny yeah, now him. because he's, he's, he has said on so many occasions now that, um. You know, that he wishes he hadn't been like that, but now he understands that a career is fleeting and he wishes that he would have uh, treated the reporters better than he did. And I would love for him uh, to come and talk to players uh, and, and just talk to current NFL players just about that very topic that, you know, that this is an opportunity for you, number one, not only to treat people uh, with, you know, with respect and professionalism and all those sorts of things. But it's also an opportunity to get your story told, uh, to maybe get yourself into a pole bowl if you get your name out there enough. And um, So, you know, I, I think that, you know, that was interesting that he has a different perspective on that now. Um, but for the most part, I think, you know, guys have been pretty okay to deal with. I mean, over the years, there have been uh, players that, that have been a little bit tough, but for the most part, you just ignore You know, you sort of ignore them. You stay away from them. If you find that, uh, that they're going to be like that, you know, I, I don't really put myself through that too much. I just kind of stay away.
1: Now you've had a long career, a successful career, quite obviously a very fun career. Who are a couple people that you would consider the biggest influences on your career?
0: Well, you know, there was a, a Brown beat writer by the name of, Chuck Heaton, who who covered the beat long before I did. Um, His daughter actually is Patricia Heaton. And, uh, you know, she's of, you know, everybody loves Raymond and the middle fame. That's Patricia Heaton. And so her dad was probably one of the biggest influences on my career because when I first showed up at the Plain Dealer, he, he was the Browns beat writer. And he is legendary in these parts. And he was so kind to me and so nice to me. And not for one second did he ever, you know, question the fact that, you know, they put, you know, a female on the beat. Because, you know, I I got resistance even from, uh, you know, plain dealer employees in the beginning. I mean, there were people that just did not like, uh, you know, a a female sports writer being around. But Chuck was amazing. And, uh, And some of the things I learned from Chuck... Were, well, he treated everybody uh, with kindness and respect, and he developed really good relationships with the people that he was covering, and he also, the thing I noticed about him is that he always treated everyone the same, whether it was the janitor that came in uh, to clean the media room when we were there late at night, and, you know, covering the browns or whatever. I always wonder if that person had a story and what their story was, and were they going home to a family, and did they have what they needed, and... Um, he really cared about people like that. And I, I really watched that. And I learned that from him. I learned, uh, to try to, to treat everyone the same way. And it was a, just an invaluable lesson from him. And, and I just, I loved the way that he did his job in the old fashioned way. So I would say that, that he is probably number one.
1: You have a NFL hall of fame vote, correct?
0: I do have a hall of fame vote. Yeah. That's pretty it's new I, I've, I've only had it for a few years. Um, but yes, I, I I've had it for um I was an alternate one year, uh when Tony Grossi couldn't be there a couple of years ago and then I've had it for the, about the past three years.
1: How much of a privilege and a responsibility is that to you? I mean, that's a huge deal. Huge.
0: Oh, it's a huge honor, a huge responsibility. I take it very seriously. And uh because I've been covering this league for so long, most of the people that we talk about in the room. Uh, you know, I have covered them. I have had some personal first-hand experience with them. I've talked to them on conference calls or I've covered them in Super Bowls or NFC or AFC Championship games. So, you know, when I'm in there, I I feel like I, I belong. And, you know, I feel like I have something to contribute. And uh again, like you said, it's been a tremendous, tremendous honor and a privilege and it's a huge responsibility. And the, you know, the year that, Kurt Warner and and Torrey Holt and some of those guys, uh, Don Correale were up, you know, I I went in and I talked to Al Saunders, the uh, former wide receivers coach, now uh, coaching assistant for the Cleveland Browns, uh, you know, had worked with all of those guys. He was a huge part of the greatest show on turf, sat down with him for a few hours, talked about, um, you know, Kurt Warner with him and, and all those guys that were up that year, uh, that he had known, uh. And, you know, just to get that kind of insight. And that's what you have to do. You really have to study and read and learn and and talk to people and and find out, uh, you know, more about them and dig. And it it is, it's a a big job. Um, But I take it seriously, and I think everybody else in that room does too.
1: Let's talk Cleveland Browns for just a couple minutes here before we start to wind this down. I don't want to keep you forever. I wish I could, but I know I can't. So let's talk Browns for a couple minutes. Now, you're a reporter. You're not a fan. So whether the Browns win or lose, you have a job to do all the same. But how hard has it been to cover the Browns the past couple of seasons? Because on one hand, you know, being that bad, I'm sure it makes for a lot of interesting, good stories, you know, as a journalist, but it probably also makes for a miserable locker room a lot of the time too, especially on Sundays.
0: You know what? It it really hasn't been bad covering the Browns, you know, over the past how many ever years that they've been bad because there's always something going on with the Cleveland Browns. Everything is always new. Everything's different. New faces, new personalities. You know, on on one hand, it's, you know, it's been a detriment that there's been so much turnover, like I said, because we don't have anything resembling an off season. But by the same token, it's always fresh. It's always new. You've always got something, uh, something different to write about. And that's why uh, when you think about it, uh, you know a lot about the Cleveland Browns, right? Because they're always in the news. Sure. Do you think, I mean, do, do we ever hear anything about the Jaguars or... You know, well, we do now because they're better. But uh, for the most part, you know, do you hear all that much about the Raiders? No, but the Cleveland Browns are always, always in the news. I mean, I've been all over, you know, I can't tell you the amount of times I end up on Outside the Lines and, uh, you know, all over national radio talking about uh, the Cleveland Browns, even when they are losing, even when they've only won four games in the last three seasons. So it's uh, it's been pretty incredible. I'm grateful to have this job. I take it very, very seriously. I work very, very hard at it, and I'm honored to have it.
1: Does this seem like a lifetime ago to you, though, You know, going back to all the way 2002, I believe it was, when Cleveland last made the playoffs? Does that feel like a long, long, long time ago to you? Don't get me wrong. I yeah. know you love your job, and like you said, I mean, you laid it out perfectly. There's always good stories to cover. It's a year-round job for you. But in terms of the playoffs, it's got to feel like a lifetime ago to you since they last made the playoffs.
0: Oh, it, yes. It, it's been a lifetime ago. And here's the thing. I feel horrible for Browns fans. I sit there and I, I look out the window of the press box and I see these Browns fans, much they still love their Cleveland Browns, and they're sitting out there in the freezing, cold, first energy stadium in November and December, wishing uh, and hoping for a victory. And that's the part that breaks my heart because I know how much these fans love their Cleveland Browns. And I, I really hope, you know, we kind of have a little bit of a lost generation because since they've come back, you know, this younger generation hasn't really seen any winning. And they need to hurry up and get this thing turned around so that they, they can get those young fans back on board. Uh, and uh, hopefully they will do that. I do think that they're kind of on the right track right now. Um, but, yeah, it, that's the toughest part is is the, the Browns fans. And when it gets good, when the going is good here, when they're winning, it is unbelievable. This town is painted brown and orange, and it's just electric.
1: Hey, and I'm a Buffalo guy, and I represent a lot of Buffalo fans, so trust me. I know the pain of being a Browns fan. We just went 17 years without a playoff game, so I definitely know that feeling. Let me ask you this. Most people, at least those who aren't in Cleveland, expected Sam Darnold to be the Browns' number one pick. Were you a little surprised that it turned out to be Baker Mayfield You know, over that last 24, 48 hours, how it played out in Cleveland?
0: you know what, within a, within 48 hours before that, I wasn't surprised. I, I was not surprised. Now, leading up to that 48 hours, I I was surprised. But I started to hear rumblings that it, it came down, and I wrote this, that it was going to be down to Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield. I, I kind of knew that, and I wrote that within a few days beforehand. And, um, and so I wasn't shocked. I mean, I had been writing a lot of Baker Mayfield stories. Of just even in March 26th, I asked Jackson point blank. Is this legit? Do you really have, can, you know, serious, genuine interest in Baker Mayfield? And he said, absolutely, yes, we can, 100%. And, and he was telling the truth and I, I wrote it like that um, and, you know, somebody, you know, on Twitter said something like, oh yeah, well, you know, of course, he's not going to rule anybody out. And I, you know, I'm thinking, I think not like that same thing about Josh Rosen, okay? You know, I mean, I know what to emphasize here. <laughs> so, um, so, anyways, I did kind of know that they were genuinely interested in him, and there were there, there were plenty of signs about that. Because again, they hired Scott McLuhan to help them with the draft, and he loved Baker Mayfield. And you know, you're not going to bring a guy like that on board who already has said who he would pick, unless you're seriously thinking about taking that guy. So the writing was on the wall, um, but I don't think anybody really wanted to believe it. And you see what you want to see sometimes. Uh, But within 48 hours, you know, I I had a pretty good idea. And within 24 hours of the draft, I I had a a fairly strong idea.
1: Now, I'm a Buffalo guy. Like I said, a lot of my listeners are Bills fans. What are your thoughts on Tyrod Taylor getting dealt to Cleveland this offseason? And what are your thoughts on Tyrod personally after seeing him a little for yourself since he's went to Cleveland?
0: You know, I I think that, um, you know, he looks like an experienced veteran who's won. Uh, a fair amount of football games, and they haven't had that here in a long time. And he's got some really good weapons around him here. I mean, if you look out there right now, he's throwing to Josh Gordon, Jarvis Landry, Corey Coleman, another first-rounder, Antonio Callaway, Duke Johnson. He's got a good running game, a good offensive line, and a lot of times, as we all know, of a quarterback, is what he has around him. And I think he's got a very good supporting cast. Uh, so I, I think that he has an opportunity to be successful here. And I firmly believe Hugh Jackson when he says he is going to start Tyrod Taylor at the start of the season. You mentioned
1: Coleman. Do you think there's a good chance that he gets traded or do you think he's in Cleveland this year?
0: Well, you know, I think part of it depends on what happens with Antonio Callaway. He's the rookie that comes with a little bit of a troubled pass. If Antonio Callaway can step up and, and be the player that the Browns think that he can be. Uh, it, and without his struggles, they felt that he was uh, one of the best receivers in this draft, if not the best receiver in this draft. If he can step up and be the player they believe he can be, then I think that would make Corey Coleman expendable. I don't know if anybody would take Corey Coleman or give them much for Corey Coleman, but I think that there, there is a chance that that he would be moved. Um, but I think what will ultimately happen is that he will uh, have an opportunity this year uh, he'll get one more chance to try to stay healthy and prove himself. And and then they'll go from there.
1: You mentioned it a couple minutes ago. Cleveland is so much better on paper. Like you said, adding some of the guys and, and you know, Carlos Hyde, Randall, EJ Gaines, Kendricks, they just signed. You know, not to mention guys they drafted. This team's a lot better on paper. What do you think their wind ceiling is for this team in 2018? Is this
0: a team that could go 500? Yeah, I think it is. I think they have the capability of doing that because, they were close in a number of games last year, and their, their biggest problem last year was the fact that they couldn't stop turning the ball over, and they didn't get any takeaways. Yeah. So if you just fix the turnover ratio, you're going to win some games. And then they added so much other talent, so so they, they fixed several problems. You know, Tyrod doesn't turn the ball over, uh, so that part of it's going to be better. better. They had a lot of defensive backs that should be able to get their hands on the ball. Uh, they added some linebackers that should be able to, to make some big plays. So, yeah, I do think that they're capable of being a 500
1: team. And you just said it perfect. If turnovers is the big deal, there's one thing that Tyrod does is he doesn't turn the ball over. So that alone can help for as long as he's starting anyway, you know, lead to at least a couple more wins. One more Browns thing. They're going to be on Hard Knocks this summer on HBO. What's your take on that? What are maybe one or two storylines that you think people who may not be Browns fans right now or know anything about the team that they'll get interested in following over the summer that you think might be part of that show?
0: Well, you know, I think there are a number of of good storylines this summer. Uh, You've got John Dorsey coming in here as the new GM, and he's quite a character, quite a colorful guy. So you've got some staff members uh, that I think will be interesting storylines. Todd Haley comes in from the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think those are some interesting things that they have going there. From a player standpoint, again, you've got the whole uh, Baker Mayfield versus Tyrod Taylor thing. And even though Tyrod has been named the starter, there'll be some fireworks there, and And Baker Mayfield will press him for that job and has vowed that he will. You've got Jarvis Landry coming in and he's quite a colorful character and quite a quote. And Josh Gordon, you know, he's, he's a one day at a time proposition, you know, hoping to stay on the straight and narrow. And now he's got somebody to mentor himself in that regard in Antonio Callaway, who comes in with uh, some baggage like that. And then, you know, then you go over to the defensive side of the ball. Demarius Randall's coming in here from Green Bay. Uh, you know, he's already been kind of outspoken and vocal about things. Oh, Jarvis Landry, by the way, had declared himself. He considers himself to be the best receiver in the NFL. Yeah. Uh so that'll be one one thing to look at. And then you've got Demarius Randall. He made the uh, sort of the you know the the bet that you know anybody uh, that you know if the, if the Cavs won, he, he would buy anyone a jersey that retweeted his tweet. And he got up over a million over that. So, you know, it'll be very interesting to see how he is received uh, by Browns fans after, after all that. And then you've got Hugh Jackson jumping in the lake. That will be chronicled on Hard Knocks. Uh, I just attended that little ceremony last week. And, um, you know, the Cleveland Browns moved the needle, even, even without all these colorful personalities. So I think it will be a compelling show. I think it will be very well watched. I think it will be one of the favorite Hard Knocks series ever.
1: And I also got a feeling that we might see a glimpse or two of Mary Kay on that show as well. at some point over the summer.
0: Well, I don't know about that, but I, if that's the case, I, I've got work to do. Let's put it that way.
1: <laughs> All right. I like that. <laughs> I like to end every week with a little mini lightning round. What I like to do is just ask you a handful of random human interest questions. Not too much. They can require whatever pops in your head, just blurt it out. Okay. Yep. All right. Favorite athlete you've ever covered.
0: Uh, let me say, uh, Bernie Cota.
1: Favorite non-sports related activity to do? Golf.
0: Oh, that's sports related. I'm sorry. You're not the first one who said that either. <laughs> I forgot. That's more than recreation. Right. Um, any, anything having to do with, with being with my kids, whether it be shopping, vacationing, whatever the case may be, it's any of those precious, precious moments that I can have with my kids.
1: Real quick, this is off topic a little bit. What do your kids think about mom being, you know, a very well-known sports reporter in the area? How's that for them? Did they love it?
0: Uh, you know what? It's just been a, a part of their lives for so long. I don't think they, um, I, don't, I don't think it really phases them too much. I, I'm just, I'm just mom to them. And it's not that big of a deal to them.
1: All right. Favorite city to visit.
0: Well, I just got back from uh, London last year, and I fell absolutely madly in love with London, and I can't wait to go back. But other than that, it's New York City for me.
1: Do you have a favorite sports movie?
0: Um, Favorite sports movie? Um, I would have to say probably Field of Dreams.
1: How about music? Like, what's something that you love to listen to when you get a t- you know get a chance to listen to music? You're busy, probably don't get to listen to it as much as you like. But what do you what do you enjoy listening to the most?
0: Oh, I, you know what? I I like um, classic rock. Which the kind of cool part of that is that you know my kids are listening to a lot of the things again that I listened to when I was their age. Nice. So I kind I, I kind of like that. I mean, I'm I'm a huge um sort of classic rock fan and I was a big, big, huge Bruce Springsteen fan and I'm going to the Elton John concert coming up. So I still like all those, you know, Phil Collins, Elton John, Bruce Springsteen. I like that kind of music, but I also, um now my son listens to a lot of alternative rock and he's always trying to get me to listen to a lot of his music and I really enjoy that. And my girls are very much into Uh, rap music and hip hop and all that. And I enjoy a lot of that, believe it or not. So they went to the post Malone concert the other day uh, at NARCA and they had an extra ticket and I was very, very tempted to go, but I knew my 19 year old and my 17 year old would absolutely not want me to be at post Malone without. So I didn't go, but I wanted to. (laughs) All
1: right. Second last question here. If Twitter sent you a note and said, Mary Kay, you're only allowed to follow one person on Twitter and one person only who would it be and why? And I know it's not post Malone.
0: <laughs> well, you know what? I'm sorry. It would just have to be Adam Shafter because I mean, he just gets everything before anybody else gets it. And, uh, he's always plugged into everything. And he always seems to know so much about the Cleveland Browns. And, you know, in order for me to be able to do my job effectively, I would have to keep following him.
1: Great choice. And he's also a great guy for what I've gathered interviewing him. Really nice person. Okay. Last question here. You could have three dinner guests from any era. Who do you got? Dinner, drinks, whatever, you know, just sit down and have a conversation, a meal with people. Give me three people from any era.
0: Okay. One, I would go with um, Mother Teresa. I, I love the way that she lived her life I loved her simple philosophy of life uh, there are so many amazing wonderful Mother Teresa quotes and if you could just uh you know if if there were and maybe there is maybe there's uh maybe she's got an Instagram from <laughs> 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 somebody should have, somebody should be running an Instagram for her quotes um you know that she had back in the day because if I could just read those, Throughout the day, then I would be living my life the right way, and uh, you know I just am in awe of the way that she lived her life and the things that she said and her simple, loving, kind, and caring philosophy. So she would be one, and then um, Oprah, I would I would love to sit down and and chat with with Oprah and have her to dinner because I I love the way that she. Uh, you know, came from nothing and just, she doesn't see, she does not see any limitations or, and she always believes in the possibilities of everything. And along those same lines, I might like to have dinner with Walt Disney because he was the same way. He was all about magic and I, and I like that. I like the philosophy of, um, you know, that life can be magical and should be magical. And, um, and I think it'd be fascinating to talk to him.
1: That's great. Okay. Eric K. Cabot, thanks for your time. It's been an honor to have you on my show. I really appreciate you coming on and doing this podcast with me.
0: Well, thanks for having me. I must say that that was the most, uh, fun interview that I've ever done. Uh, no one has ever been, uh, that interested in anything about me before. So I pre- I really appreciate the conversation.
1: Oh, the pleasure was definitely all mine. Thank you. Okay. That's it for today's episode. Big thanks again to Mary Kay Cabot for taking time out of her busy schedule to join me on the show today. She's literally one of the very best in the business, and it was a great honor to spend some time getting to know her better. And hopefully you guys got something out of it as well. Great interview. Great person. Great writer. Yo, man, I'm all kinds of pumped about Monday's show. Listen, I grew up loving New York City point guards. Guys like Pearl Washington and Kenny Anderson, just to name a few. And I got one of the best to ever come out of the NYC on my next episode. 17-year NBA veteran and Bronx legend, Rod Strickland will be my guest on Monday's show. We'll be talking about his career a career where he played in over a thousand NBA games. We'll be talking some NBA finals, little LeBron talk, talk about where he may be going next this summer and much more. I'll also have my guy tone pucks in for our weekly Pat with puck segment. Who knows what we'll end up talking about and where that ends up going, but it'll be something for sure. So I'm looking forward to that. Like always on Monday, if you haven't done so already, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to this show. It's quick, it's easy, and it is free. Help me climb the iTunes charts and stick it to mainstream media. You can also leave me a five-star review as well because apparently that stuff helps. You can also follow me on Twitter at Pam Morant Tweets. Thanks again for listening. You guys are the freaking best. Have a nice, safe weekend. And I'll be back with a new episode featuring Rod Strickland and a lot of Buffalo Bills talking other things on Monday. Peace out.